Live from Anti-Canada News, I'm Harvey Johnson. Our top story tonight, two ambisexual men are being held hostage at Nakatomi Plaza, and I have the privilege of speaking to these two men after the fact, and they have assured me that this only has continued to bolster their need to be dominated in bed. I now turn it to these wonderful, broken men. Thanks, Harvey. Welcome back, you ho-ho-hos. Turn up those eggnogs and stuff those stockings because you can't stop this podcast from coming down your chimney this holiday season. Yippee those Kayes and get ready to haunt those groupers. It's your favorite Nautily Nice duo looking to make it rain dear in the new year. I'm the ho- I'm your hoity-toity good boy who lost his Game Boy. Your peppermint mocha who's looking to keep you warm by the fire. Your baritone who's lost his phone. It's Movie Man Opinions, aka K, aka Keegan, uh, or other things there. So, uh, yeah, welcome all you ha- fabulous people. Uh, I hope that you all are enjoying your holiday season over there just making sure that you're nice and warm by the fireplace i hope that you and your loved ones have a wonderful holiday season and now it's time for your present let's open up this bag of wonders let's see how this goes a joy to the world and a pain in my ass you've heard of elf on the shelf well get ready for a hoe in the snow a married man with an australian a laugh with a naff a whore from el salvador a papa with trauma the man the myth the legend it's (laughs) nafcore hello um Yeah, I never know how to follow your intros anymore, but if you guys are watching, obviously this will be on audio and on video, but if you guys are watching the stream, you'll be seeing our beautiful, ugly Christmas sweaters. Look at this. Beautiful holiday sweaters. Uh, It's actually Uh, summer in Australia, so recognize the amount of pain I go through to look good for you guys. And and, and check out the nails. They're so pretty. Like, I got my little Christmas nails happening. Oh my goodness gracious, those are gorgeous. Let me get my face out of it. Post some to social media. Yeah. We'll we'll, so we'll post on social media our outfits because I feel like uh, that'll be good. We'll post them on our on our Instagram. Yeah, because we'll uh, do. I do feel I do feel that we uh, these outfits are deserving of such a treatment. They are, uh, they are, and when it gets hot, I have a surprise under here as well. So don't worry. Oh, true, absolutely. Uh, this one I do know what's underneath, so that'll be beautiful. Uh, but Excuse me. Well, I. What kind of woman do you surprised. think I am? Don't hmm? be surprised. Wow. One who one who's shown me everything. And so uh absolutely. the internet I've been ousted. Wow. Uh, that, hey, listen, man, if you think that we are a no holds bar, our shame is the internet's to behold. Like, have you listened to half of the shit we've said on this podcast? The I... amount of the amount of out of the pocket we are is just uh like it's insane. I very much agree. Absolutely. Uh, well, shout out also to our boy, David, who was very excited to, uh, hear what we have to say about the movie, uh, and as well to all the fabulous people in chat. We had a wonderful beginning in doing these things there. So we love you guys. And we are very excited to bring you our long awaited holiday special. Now, Neffo. What the hell are we doing here? What the hell are we doing here? Um, actually, I don't know, man. What do we do here, bro? 
Well, I'll tell you a little bit. We are available on all the various podcasting platforms, such as Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts, as well as, you know, just live and on demand on YouTube, baby. Live and demand on YouTube. You know it, you know it. And make sure that you stick around by the end where we will announce the next film that you could check out this week uh, so you can see the conversation next week. Like, we're going to announce it at the end of this episode. So if you want to get ahead of your friends and know what we're covering for our last one with the films at the very end of the year you'll know and you'll be able to prepare for it and it's a doozy it's <laughs> uh it, it really it, it's actually fuba ah uh, nice i like that uh now if you continue going on with this uh Neff, what the hell are we doing here on what? your christmas eve my christmas eve's eve Christmas Eve's Eve. That's beautiful. Well, at uh, One With The Films, which is where you have found yourself, if you're listening or watching this, welcome. Um, you would know, if you're a long-time listener, exactly what you're in for. However, for the uninitiated, uh, who may have spontaneously stumbled across a little corner of the internet for a cute little episode of One With The Films, you are joining us today for an episode of the Weekly Watch List. And the Weekly Watch List has this cheeky little gimmick where in every episode ever, someone is watching one of someone else's favorite films for the first time. And then we hang out here and we talk about it all afternoon. So it definitely is the place to be if you're working through that pesky watch list or if you're looking to add a few items to it. Either way, you're very welcome. We are so happy to have you. Merry Christmas. We love you so much. This. Ooh, I burped into the microphone, so another one for you. That's You're how much welcome. I love you. I burped twice. Absolutely. No, the, the second one's actually only for subscribers. Oh, so gotcha. if not, so just, fix it. <laughs> if if you're not subscribed, then then skip the second one. Rescind, okay? rescind, yeah, rescind yeah. that burp. Now, as we go on, uh, we have a wonderful film that I actually brought in. Uh-huh. Uh, this was one that. When we were thinking about favorite films and things there, Naf was uh, talking about, oh, we should do a holiday special. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it would be really funny to do Die Hard. And then Naf looks at me, he's like, yeah, that'd be great. And I'm like, you haven't seen it, have you? And he's like, nope. And I'm like, perfect. And And then once again, you had the ability to just coincidentally have not seen this film, start a podcast, and be in time to watch this movie for the first time in a 4K re-release of one of the world's largest IMAXs. Yeah, so it's the largest screen in the Southern Hemisphere, an IMAX in Melbourne. Uh, it was the 35th anniversary, 4K remaster. My first watch I swear, it's gonna of be under- Die Hard. Whenever I come IMAX. over there, I whenever I come over there, I'm gonna be upset because I feel like it'll be under construction or something. Mm, like, and I'll be, no, and I'll no. be we're gonna time it. There. If you, you're not going to be able to get here for Dune 2, but for Dune 3, they're going to have to do a done. trilogy. Uh, I'm hoping that they do... Oh my god, that for would Dune be For Dune 2, I'm hoping they do like a double feature. So we watch yeah. Dune 1 and then Dune 2, so I'm going to do that in March. And then, yeah, fingers crossed that they do the same thing for the trilogy. If we time your visit with that, then that'd be great. But the cinemas in LA aren't all that bad either. Like when I was there, we went and oh, saw no, John Wick cinemas. at the Chinese theater. That was huge screen. That was oh, awesome, Chinese theater. awesome theater. The Chinese theater is one of the few theaters, like besides the seat situation that the seats are old. Mm. But other than that, the the experience of oh, going, yeah. to, it's, 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 it's so cool to go to the Chinese in general. Uh, but the Chinese theater is just gigantic. I, mm. I, I 
I had a tradition with a friend of mine um, where we would go to see all like when, once I moved out here ever since Spider-Man No Way Home, because that was the only theater we could ironically get opening night tickets to. And we and that started tradition for both of us that we were like, despite us both having AMC passes, we were like, let's go to the Chinese to mm. see Marvel movies opening night. Then we stopped because they aren't aren't good and um and so uh we ended up uh but we saw the batman there we saw things there and then you and i saw john wick four there yep and that was incredible but away from the point we're watching die hard motherfuckers and so now naf would you like to tell us a little bit before we get into the why and before we get into a lot of the details surrounding this film would you like to give us some fun facts spill little secrets from the inner mechanisms of your mind well i didn't necessarily find them in the inner mechanisms of my mind but through google searches that's okay that's that's, that's my reference all right google all right all right i once actually had a teacher get angry at me when i wrote my reference list for a report that I was writing and I wrote that Google was one of the sources and they were like, you didn't get anything from Google. You use Google to find the sources. I was like, okay, okay, I'm sorry. Like I'm nine <laughs> years old, dude. I thought Google was the information. You, Everyone oh, told yeah, me to Google it. I found the answer when I Googled it. Was just it. Sorry, I wrote Google was my... Just exactly. some random cockney guy because that's the accent I can do. Oi, listen here. It's Oi. Just sort of... Sh- Oi. Well, let me tell you what I found on my reference. Please. That is Google. So... <laughs> Among the twenty-eight million dollars spent, one can only imagine how many of those dollars were spent on not one, not two, but the seventeen undershirts in various stages of distress that our hero cop wears throughout the film. But not to worry, they made it all back and then some, landing at over a hundred and forty thousand dollars of the box office, showcasing once again that studios should stop spending so much money on their films. Released in 1988 and based on a novel of the same or a similar name uh, and directed by John McTiernan, uh, the director who directed many other classics during the 80s action hero renaissance era, if you will. It was nominated for four Academy Awards. That blew my mind. I didn't expect that this was going to be on the Academy Awards. Uh, In that it was including Best Sound, Best Editing, Best Effects for Sound Effects Editing, and Best Effects for Visual Effects. It has an 8.2 out of 10 on IMDb from nearly 1 million ratings, and it's the third most rewatched film at Christmas time, with a 4.1 out of 5 from users on Letterboxd. Lead actor Bruce Willis poured blood, sweat, and tears, and hearing into this film, stating he did a lot of his own stunts, and one of those stunts actually caused him permanent hearing loss in his left ear, as well as a near-miss... A near-miss on a premature ending of his aliveness when he jumped off a five-story building and nearly missed the landing zone. Uh, he was saying that one of the, the stunt uh, the stunt director, the stunt choreographer, looked at that and laughed and was like, haha, that's funny, you nearly died. And he's like, I, I wasn't laughing, I nearly, I nearly died. <laughs> the book, however, was actually a sequel to another book by the same writer, Roderick Thorpe, called The Detective, uh, which was adapted into a film starring Frank Sinatra in 1968. And so Fox was actually contractually obligated to offer Frank Sinatra the chance to don a bloody tank top, and he respectfully declined, as by the time they were making this movie, he was in his 70s. So $5 million later, nice and cheap, we found out John McClane. If only studios would continue to do that with their aging movie stars. <laughs> What, like, not put them in movies anymore? Like, go to Harrison Ford and say, hey, we're doing a new Indiana Jones. It's not you. Would you, like, not 
to be him. Yeah. Like, I think the downside you know? is because he is like 70 in the latest one. The same scenario. I think they probably went to him and were like, hey, we're going to do a new Indiana Jones. We're contractually obligated to offer you the role that we can't oh. recast until you say no. And he said, I'm going to do it. Um, <laughs> I'm in. Did, did I'm you say yes without any questions? No, I asked one question. What was it? How much? <laughs> How much? Show me the money. And um, oh, uh, but I now love that as we go, uh, uh, as he we go the, on, um, uh, Harrison Ford is the Nikola Jokic of the movie industry. You'll understand that if you're a basketball fan. I'm not, so I don't. It's okay. <laughs> but it's, someone, it's, someone will get it. Someone will get it there. Someone will get it. So uh, that's some fun facts and- on Die Hard. And going into this film, we generally talk about, before we go in, what we knew about it before watching. And we'll go a little bit into, this is a film that you brought, Kay, that you felt yeah. I needed to see. And we have so many options for Christmas films when we get to a Christmas special. And there's big conversations around this one in particular. I felt with this, similar to I felt with a lot of the classic movies, that though I haven't seen it, I kind of have. It's been homaged and uh, parodied to no end. So I thought, you know, I'll have seen it. I've seen most of this film through clips and everything else in my life. I still actually left with a couple of little surprises in the story, which I thought was pretty interesting. You know, basic little things that I didn't know was going to happen. But yeah, besides that, I really didn't have much connection to this film at all people talking about it being the best christmas story it uh was a film that i never got to and one of my best friends it's his favorite christmas film as well and i actually took him as a surprise to watch it at imax i was like hey keep this night clear it's oh, at this no time way. meet me at this place we're gonna go and he, he walked didn't in know you were taking him nah we sat down in imax and then as it starts he's like oh man like like is it like a long film? I was like, I don't really know. Like, it didn't have like a lot of buzz behind it. Like, it, it should be all right though. I'm pretty keen for it. I reckon you'll like it. And then it started, and like literally the the first frame of the film, he literally just like bumps me. He's like, "Fuck yeah!" I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> and so it was great for me to take him to the film he's been wanting me to watch for like ten years. And if so, that isn't the spirit of Christmas, if it isn't, what if it's that's the spirit of giving? Mm. Look at that. Exactly. But uh, go, yeah, yeah. With that, uh, Die Hard is one of those films that is just one of those quintessential '80s action movies that mm-hmm. you know, I I am constantly sort of blown away by with the with the standpoint of you look at a lot of the '80s films, like a lot of the '80s kind of action hero genre, whether it's Stallone, Schwarzenegger, like that sort of rambo predator all that stuff there which obviously you know the um director was involved in with some of those so not not unfamiliar to the genre Mm -hmm. it when i i i was i think i was in middle school when i first no i was it was my freshman year of high school when my parents gave me this film i want to think it was for valentine's day out of all things because uh, my parents would give me like these little Valentine's Day baskets or things there because I didn't have a girlfriend, and um, and so it was a thing of going. Uh, they they gave this like little thing. They would always like include like a DVD or something, and one of them was Die Hard, and I hadn't seen it before, so I was like, okay, let me see it. And I remember because at that time, like all the action movies would kind of 
not parody this, but they would take the same premise of like a fixed location. Mm. And when I watched this movie, I was like, oh, are they going to like travel to different areas? And when I realized the film was all going to take place in one area, I brought it up to my dad and my dad was like, yeah, that was the first time that was like done in a movie. Like it was like kind of like as an action movie, that was sort of like one of the first major things to kind of do that premise. Uh, and he told me a funny story about a film that tried to follow it up. And I'll I'll, I'll, I'll uh, tell that. I guess now is probably a good time to tell it. But it was like, apparently there was a film that came out after this because all the studios wanted to ride the success of Die Hard. Naturally. Naturally. Uh, that that um, is the way, right? That is the way. Yep. If something's um, good, don't let it be good. Take the idea and beat and it. And do it again. And beat it and beat it until we hate it. Beat it to death. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, stereotypical superhero films now. <laughs> Um, and, but the, I don't mean to, I am literally wearing a winter soldier sweater. Like I don't mean to be anyway, uh, hate to be bah humbug on this, but now the thing was my dad and my mom saw this, uh, we're sitting in a theater at some point and my dad said it's the fun, unintentionally funniest trailer he's ever seen. They're watching a movie and I guess it was like Pierce Brosnan or somebody. Uh, and there was this movie where they were talking about like, um, you know, the terrorists had a plan. The, you know, they were like, they planned for all these details and it was like a ship, right? Like it was like a, like a big ship and it was sort of a diehard premise of, oh, they're going to take over the ship. And, uh, and it was like, you're seeing all this. I think Tommy Lee Jones is in the movie and it's like, awesome. they're taking over the ship and things there. And they said, and there's only one problem. They forgot about the cook. And my dad and my mom lost it. They lost. They forgot about and you see, the like, cook. Pierce Brosnan or somebody like that in just this, you know, cook's outfit with like a gun, and it's like, oh my god, I've never seen this movie, but I'm like that. That was iconic. So what I knew, one of the things, like, I, I, ever since I saw this movie, I thought it was very, very good, and I've always kind of liked it. And I always would maintain I'm part of the Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and fuck all of you who are wrong. Uh, crowd and um, I suppose what do you think makes what do you think is the criteria for a film to be a Christmas film does it just have to take place at Christmas time well I think we'll get into it because there is a difference there is the uh, films at Christmas and Christmas films exactly there are films Mm. at Christmas and then there are Christmas films because I used to do for myself a not so Christmas movie marathon which was any film that kind of had to do with Christmas I would watch so like the Godfather was one of them, like various like Iron Man three, like various other ones like that, like that. And then because there is a difference between films that take place at Christmas and a film that is a Christmas film, there are two actual eighties. I think one might be nineties. I forget. I, I is Lethal Weapon nineties? Honestly, couldn't tell you, dude. I haven't. But seen anyway, it. Lethal Weapon might be next year because Lethal Weapon is also a takes place weirdly at christmas well we should do a um like as we build up to christmas we could do like ask the fans to to help us pick the movie and just let them submit and we can do like a spin on the hat we'll grab all the ones that either one of us hasn't seen before either both me or you put them all in a list and just let it spin the wheel do you remember when we did that with our spielberg films and it landed on schindler's list like if, if you listen to that if you listen to that recording it was on our boy episode 
if you listen to that, you could hear the moment where we spin the list and uh, Naf was like, oh, we like Kevin's been wanting to show me a lot of these like Spielberg films. So we just put a lot of them on there. He spins it. And I literally, as I was saying, there's only one film on here that would be a little problematic if we got and then it lands on Schindler's list. And I go, oh, no, that was it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the things that I found really interesting is I was looking at this letterboxed uh, list that they created called the most obsessively rewatched films at Christmas. And they've taken like actual like the data to determine this. And you've got a bunch of films out there. And Die Hard is number three on there, as we were saying in the fun facts. That's insane. There are a bunch of other ones here that blew my mind as well, though. You've got like Little Women um, is on there at number 24. that's right. Um, there was another, the Star Wars Holiday Special, number 73. La La Land is number 71. You yeah, have I guess Goodfellas true. at 98. See, not so Christmas movies. Mm, but it's one of the most rewatched around here. And there's another, was Little Women a remake? Yeah, there's been a lot of Little Women's. Wow, so number, the, the Greta Gerwig one is number 24. And then there's this one from 1994. That's number 84. And Lethal Weapon's number 83. So here's a bunch of films. You want to check it out, uh, just go to Letterboxd's account on Letterboxd. They've got, they've got the lists there. It's really cool to see all of these different Christmas films, of which I have seen, like, five. Well, exactly. So we're going to have plenty for next year. But for now, <laughs> as we go with this, one thing that uh, I want to make sure that people know is obviously this movie, as you said, is very well loved and very well, uh, you know, I I suppose clearly it's very well rewatched. So I don't think it's that hard of a stretch for those of you who haven't seen it, but just so you know, we are not doing a like play by play, but we are going into spoilers. We're not going to be avoiding them. Uh, You know, you can always come back later if you want to go in fresh, but feel free to stick around even if you haven't seen the film, as it's sure to be an interesting conversation regardless. Another thing I wanted to mention on a standpoint of what did we know before watching, there is a fascinating documentary, great series, highly recommend uh, uh, checking it out if you haven't. There's a film, uh, Netflix has a series called uh, The Movies That Made Us, Mm. and they take a lot of these films that apparently were production nightmares or movies that nobody believed in but became household successes. Uh, and Die Hard is one of them. They they did one on there. And that one is fascinating because it is interesting to hear. I don't remember some of the specifics, but I remember being fascinated with the stories of the screenwriter talking about how a lot of the humor that came out of John McClane's character and Bruce Willis uh, was the fact that, like, you know, Bruce Willis wanted to try being a little funny and things there. So mm. it, it, it was like a an organic process that as they were filming, they were like, you know, I think it'd be really interesting to kind of go with the, you know, lean into that. So highly recommend everybody going and checking out that because that it, it was just an, a very simple, easy watch. Cool. Very well made, very well put together. Yeah, I think definitely something cool to check out. And as you were saying that, I was thinking about when I was looking at the fun facts before, one of the things that I saw was that um, Alan Rickman helped come up with the look and the feel of the character yes. of Hans Gruber. He, he put a lot of like himself in there. And he also was saying that he didn't see him as the villain, which we'll dive into when we start talking about some of the characters here too. But let's get into the conversation a bit here, Kay. We both have some things that we wanted to talk about here, which we've compiled into a few topics, as we do. I want to kick off uh, talking about the location uh, and also how that how that uh, impacted the, act- the action within the film and the special effects. So like... 
We've got this oh, really yeah. grassroots, stuck in one location. I love, I love these kinds of films. They just showcase Same. a level of creativity that you don't really get when you're going from place to place to place to place to place. Like my favorite film of 2023 was shot in one hotel room, and that it's a great film. You guys should check it out. There's Sanctuary. That uh, there is just a uh, a very unique opportunity when you do place something in one location to be able to do a lot of creative stuff i mean you look at even like again as you said drama examples like sanctuary or um uh, uh sanctuary like- is a romantic comedy thank you very much it's nafcore it has drama in there somewhere um but uh hey, all sorry, romantic comedies have in there dra- somewhere hey that's nice it actually does it's filled with daddy issues oh there we go that's it and so um it's not not Keegan Core, I'll tell you that. But that's like it probably is. I need to watch it. That that's that's definitely one of those that's there. But as, like um with Die Hard, uh with these various different films and these things, what I love about the action of this film, that location is so great. You can actually go like the building is here in LA mm. and it's such you can see it as you saw in some of those shots. There are streets that you could just see it in the distance mm. and it is just cinematic it's like it is that kind of building in the distance and that drive up to it is just so cool yeah like just a lot of those shots it just it really does inspire a really cool level of cinematography because it just it feels like an iconic location yeah i can imagine it does and it's not actually nakatomi plaza right the, the name no, of the I think building it's a is a different name yeah so it's a real location, but a fictional location. What? Like How fictional did, business. Did, that's, that's the magic of film, baby. That's the magic of film. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I I really was fascinated by with this film. And now you want to talk about the action. Obviously, when you're watching this film, it's I feel like especially nowadays, it's tough because like with the 80s, it's kind of a they either were trying to do some of the last days of like old visual effects and it looks terrible now or it's all practical and it looks yeah. great. Yeah, like either uh, like it's either or in this one, fortunately, I feel follows into the latter camp mm-hmm. of they do so much in camera that you're actually almost amazed yeah at like like uh, well, again there's stuff that i want to know how it was done like the explosion at the end yeah i really i don't know like did, did they do just you know how it was done building? yeah he jumped off a five-story building when they blew it up and was a helicopter like blew up as well like uh, that whole i, I don't know what they did with the helicopter but that looked that it all looks legit i reckon probably looks a legit. miniature maybe for the helicopter i would love to see behind the scenes for this however one of the things I was thinking in particular with the action and the special effects here, they spent like, what was it? Like uh, like 10% of the budget they spent on glass, which makes oh sense. God. They're blowing it up all the time. And step there is Yeah, there is a feeling within films like this when you know that you're kind of really at a height, for example, or, the, or they've done a really good job of portraying that it's real, is when you get the feeling of, like, the willies in there, you know? When things that are outside the body feel like they're crawling into the body and you get a bit of vertigo while you're watching a film. That's when I know. That's when I know. Oh, um, yeah. Well, like, and, and you're absolutely right. Like, when you have a film that also does that, and I think it's also great that they give you this character. Like, we'll we'll, we'll dive more into the character in a second. Mm -hmm. But, like, I feel like when that is embedded in the film, 
like it's kind of yeah. like Indiana Jones with snakes. Yep. It's this idea of like, oh, a pit of snakes is a challenge unto itself. It's a whole different thing when that's the phobia of yes. your main character. Yeah. Where it's like you're now in intertwining these very natural like I'm sorry, natural obstacles. Yeah. That and like you know, this would be there anyway. This is a skyscraper. Mm -hmm. Like, its height is going to be a factor. But to have a character that's afraid of that makes it just that much better. Exactly. And then you also add into that something as simple as the character does not have shoes. And throughout the oh. whole film, he does not have shoes. And when the villain recognizes that he doesn't have shoes, the response of shoot the glass, that was the most harrowing moment for me. I was like... Oh my god, no. And you really feel that at the end when he kind of thinks, he's like, I'm, I'm getting a bad feeling, I think. You know, tell my wife I love her. And those kinds of things that just worked it, it, so it's well. Just, they make so many surprising choices in this movie that, that does keep it feeling fresh. Absolutely. It's why it's like, even on Reach Rewatch, I was rewatching this movie, I'm like, this is one of the... Reach watch. It's like, you know, my favorite thing about this film is that I've been, I, I've, again, I saw it when I was in high school and I still look at this film and I'm like, this film still works. Yeah. Yeah. This film just still works. Like it, it really has a lot of nuance. Like, sure, there's some dated 80s stuff, but overall, it actually is a little ahead of its time. Yeah. In a lot of discussions. Like, we'll get there, but uh, I don't want to just completely. No, it does feel rush past some of our other topics, but absolutely. But it feels a bit like when we watched Rear Window, and I was expecting it to feel yes. like a film from the fifties or forties or whatever. And it does have elements of it that just are unavoidable. But for the most part, there are aspects of this that feel timeless. You know, I'm yeah. going, what? How? How have you done this? And we were talking before about how a lot of the action is in camera. And one of the things that I was thinking while I was watching the film and as I left was. Dear God, I cannot imagine that this film was screened to audiences and unions and all of these things, and then they were like, you know what? I don't think we need regulations around safety. <laughs> so, like, here's the thing, right? Like, that shot of Bruce Willis jumping off the five-story building onto... It's it's just a, a airbag, like a essentially. Yeah. yeah. That's how they stopped it. And they still do that. But you don't do that without wires and stuff these days. And yeah. I can see why. And when you look at some of the action sequences in this film of somebody being pushed against a wall, um, it, it's it is, brutal. It's brutal. There is a weight, there is an oomph to it that films from the 70s and 80s, like think of the Luke Skywalker kick in Return of the Jedi, right? The force kick. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, yeah. that's what you expect to see when you think about action in the 80s. And this, this is, is not just that. brutal. Yeah. Like, if I think, actually, like, we said, what, this is 1988. What year was Return of the Jedi? I, it was around this time, I think. Like, it was earlier. Yeah. Um, it's, it's still close enough to be cousins. Like, you yeah, know, it's... It's, yeah, it, it's like we're, we're there. You know, we're right there. And well, you would expect, like you said, more stuff like that, but it feels a lot of the time like people are actually punching each other and hitting each other and there is a weight to even the the sheer volume of damage that uh john mccain takes mclean mclean but yeah McLean. yeah you're good you're good i was thinking about there's a company in australia called mccain and they make potato chips oh okay gotcha yeah so i'm hungry 
I, I understand you're mm. also thirsty, but that's just an eternal state of being. And uh, I mean, you have your wine there, so enjoy. But like with it, like with your your point there, it, it, there is just a brutality that this mm-hmm. film has, and I think that there is such a cool thing with the effects because I mean, even with the like the effects that I love is the car stuff that happens. There's not a lot of yeah. it, but the car stuff is so good because the location is so good. It's one of those things where I feel that this is an underappreciated thing. I I think in film because you do really have like in film a lot of times you have an okay location especially in modern films these days they get a cool location that's cool for the wide shots and then they don't really use it Mm. they they're just like ah it's cool it's monaco that's where we are now and like maybe there's an action sequence like they're not as innovative or inventive as i i would like them to be what i love about this one is because it the film it just it feels so cinematic that you have the stuff like one of my favorite moments is the, the cop pulling up at the beginning and being like uh going outside and then the body falls onto his car yeah. and then he's like he's like oh jesus christ and then all of a sudden gets sh- the car is getting shot up but then you see it bam hit like a guardrail like as it's backing up and it's like oh that's all in camera and then yeah. falling off of this like little area into like this kind of construction site Absolutely. zone and it's like it feels so intense like you feel that anxiety and that like and then you have the wonderful like armored vehicle that like comes up and they're like oh they're gonna go over there and they have the giant explode like you're seeing it crash through like guarding guardrails and stuff there and they have the explosions and it's like and then even that huey helicopter coming down and going around the building it's like everything feels so real and so and when you have that intensity i feel it lends credence to the characters in the situation mm. in the way that it is the way that it is presented just it, it really just bolsters you know the action absolutely and then and it makes the threat feel so real yeah you're absolutely right and i was hearing my friend was telling me that with those attack helicopters they actually shot that in downtown la and they didn't get permits for it or tell people that they were going to do it so it was just these helicopters flying and they ended up getting noise complaints and all that kind of stuff for it because those oh, things sure. are insanely loud. loud and i thought it was so funny how gruber kind of knows the exactly the plan that the fbi are going to follow and it's so great uses that obviously against them however those characters are hilariously incompetent oh like uh, are you talking about all the uh the fbi characters <laughs> oh my god so should we move on to characters? Because I know that we have a lot to say, I feel like, about characters. Yeah, well, I think around about the special effects, there's lots of really great squib work. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at that and I'm like, man, the wiring on this, and if you have to do multiple takes here, like, Jesus, like, impressive, well, impressive work from whoever was well, doing a great, a great, A great use of, of handheld cameras. Like, mm. it... it it feels intense, but it's not in that shaky cam way of yep. we're trying to make it more intense than it is. It just, it helps. Like one of my favorites is like when there's, and also what I love, and we'll get this into the characters. I love how the direction of this film is because all of the characters feel like they're reacting how you would in an actual situation. And it's not people trying to be too macho or not macho enough. It's like, 
everybody's acting in a very particular way that makes everything feel so real. One of my favorite scenes is when the, it's the it's like the boardroom table scene where not when they're having the discussion, but when John's like, like, you know, freeze, motherfucker, drop it. And everybody's like, no, please don't shoot. But he's buying time for his friend to come around the corner with the gun. And then but then it's on top of the table like he's trying to scooch under the table as the guy's like bam bam like where are you going pal yeah yeah and then just shooting there and he's like next time you have a chance to kill somebody don't hesitate and then just he shoots through the table he's like thanks for the advice yeah like i feel but the squib work on that was just it, it like the bullet wounds feel so brutal in this movie yeah dude yeah they do like there's fun. brain matter and stuff on the back of chairs like oh my god it feels very john wick like mm. everything that hits you feel it like it's it's like it's intense and in kind of fun but it's not action without the day like everything that happens in the movie all the gunshots and it, it feels very realistic to how that would go down absolutely and one of the things that you were mentioning before was sort of similar to john wick however one of the things that I found I really liked about this film is that even though it drops a couple of hints of, oh, you know, I've been a cop for 12 years and, like, those kinds of things, I still feel like he's out of his depth here. And he's yes. he's having to overcome a mountain of struggles in a way that I actually watched Die, Die Hard 2 last night and I didn't feel that that hit the same level. So it, it felt a little more, um, it an felt a little more hero. like, yeah, like an action hero. Where here, I'm like, this is some guy. This is just some guy. I don't care if he's a cop or not. For all intents and purposes, he's a civilian who knows how to use a gun. Exactly. Like, it's, it's he's enough of a civilian. The cop part is just to explain that he kind of knows what he's doing, but it's yeah. not like he's military. It's not like he's this... And it, this mm -hmm. is a good transition point into our Absolutely. characters. Absolutely, yeah. And and so, moving on to, to characters and starting with, with John McClane, I think that that's one of the things that really works for me with him. I don't know what's going on. He doesn't know what's going on. And the fact that there are scenes where he's sitting there talking to himself on the border of essentially like a panic attack, going, you know, come on, John, think, you gotta have a plan. Why you? Why you? Why does it have to be you? Oh my God. And he's, he's sitting there freaking out going, what the hell am I supposed to do here? And he does the right thing. In this film, he sees the, the he sees clearly that he's not coming out of this. He goes, there are terrorists here, whatever's happening, we're all going to die, this sucks. What's the right thing to do? I'm the only person who was not uh, taken, so I could go in and take them all out one by one, like I'm playing a Hitman game or a Far Cry or something like that, but no, I'm not capable of that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sneak my way up to the roof and I'm going to call the police. Or yeah. I'm going to find a fire alarm and set off the fire alarm so that the fire brigade comes because I need to get somebody else here that can actually handle this because I cannot. And it's not until the point that it goes back and back and back and back that he's, he, he's against the wall when there's no other option that he then starts taking those matters. Well, and most hands. of it is because he's almost about to be found out. It's never yeah. him going up against the terrorist. 
he's always like the terrorists are, are finding him in a room and he's like oh shit now i gotta deal with it yeah like absolutely. It's, it's, i was watching a video uh, i think you sent it to me it was about star wars but it was like talking about the fact of oh well we have elizabeth in chat uh, hap, uh merry christmas pals as well and uh merry christmas elizabeth just as a reminder you guys can watch us live as we record these we tend to record them 6 30 uh, uh pacific standard time so with all of those there, so just uh, you can follow us there. But going with what you're saying, I agree. The whole uh, the whole vibe of it is it, it it feels very much. That's what I love about him is he also sta- you brought it up before. The whole film starts off, and you can tell you know he has this kind of marriage that we're kind of figuring out a little bit about. Clearly, he's clearly he's on a plane to go see his wife and apparently his kids Mm. we don't know what the situation is what i also love about this film is the way they deliver exposition is actually really again as you said it's very john wick it's very (laughs) much we're giving you just enough to know but we're not doing the chuck how long have we been brothers yes like we're doing it in a way that like oh it makes sense but he's also not gonna fully tell like the Argyle character was such a great way to set up the movie. I also love the way that the beginning of the movie is of like, you're not a fan of flying, huh? And you kind of wonder how the fuck is this going to play into the movie? You don't expect it really to play so into good. this. Yeah. But it does in such a huge way. And like, but then the whole fists with your toes. Mm-hmm. And I love, I love even the moment. Fists with your toes. Shows, it also shows a very much a pre 9-11 way of flying with uh, him st- like standing up and like, I know the air marshals and stuff that like, they can carry their weapons on them uh, on flights, but like seeing the gun there and then being like uh, uh, him being like, but I love the line because it's very much uh, the way Bruce Willis delivers it makes it feel less like a don't worry, I'm a cop and the audience is going to need to know that it's very much a nah don't worry i'm a cop hey trust me i've been doing it for 11 years like it all is very much like i could see somebody doing that yeah like i could feel that and that's what's such a great thing i feel this movie does if it's the dynamic that those characters share with one another and then i i feel like going with that that's what i think makes this movie work as opposed to stuff like stallone or schwarzenegger bruce willis feels very it's why i love indiana jones as opposed to 007 because indiana jones and like raiders of the lost ark feels very much like this guy's in over his head mm-hmm. and he could die yeah obviously the, the more films that come out with him you start to feel like they're not going to kill this guy apparently but like even that's, when they should have in the last one <clears throat> I, I i i i don't disagree but uh my feeling with bruce willis in this movie though is his he he starts off with this and i know that you kind of want to talk about this but we'll probably talk about this a little bit later but he really delivers this like every man feeling like i love when he is like like talking to the fire brigade of being like as you were saying like the fire brigade's on its way and he's like (laughs) come on i'll kiss you dalmatian come on come on come on come on and then it's like no 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 you stupid motherfuckers no turn the fucking car around like that whole moment is just so real and i even love when he does talk to his wife and they have a little bit of argument of like are we gonna have this conversation and you could tell he's debating should i say this 
should I not? Should I not do that? I'm I'm gonna say it. And then when she leaves, he just knocking his head against the wall, just being like, I like you know, like way to go, John, way to go. Yeah. Uh it's ah, uh, it's so great. And then um oh, God. Well, one of the but things like, that I love with with the introduction of those characters as well, particularly with with Holly and with John, is when we get to we were talking about exposition before and how they deliver information. One of my favorite ones was he's talking a little bit about that with Argyle, but not giving away too much. And also, hi George, um, George is in chat. One of my friends says it's one of uh, his favorite films, but he needs to watch again. That being said, right. The introduction with Argyle, I love the dynamic there of Bruce Willis' character being like, ugh, like, just shut up, dude. Like, I'm not here to talk. Yeah, just get me to the place. Just like, it's drive fine. the car, man. And also something about him sitting in the front of the limo. Character yeah. work. Character work. You know? It's like, oh, people like, you, usually you sit in the front. See... Like, what, what are you doing, man? And... Yeah, like, that's... It shows a lot of... It, it's just by giving your character those traits, it's just such a great idea. But continue. Well, what I was thinking was when he goes up to the front desk, he's like, I'm here to see uh, Holly McLean. And the guy's like, yeah, cool. No worries. Type her name in here. He's like, cool toy. And you look at this technology and and Die Hard 2 does this as well, which is really funny where he's like, I have to get with the times. Somebody teach me how to use a fax machine. And watching it in 2023 is the most absurd thing. such a funny thing. thing. Yeah. And he clicks the button. And he types his name and she's not there. And then he, he sits, he just contemplates for a second, goes back, types G, and then he sees that she's gone back to her maiden name. And he's yeah. like, Ugh. And I, I actually yeah. love the way that that flows into the story, particularly later when Hans finds out oh, that there's a connection yeah. between the two of them. And how I, I loved how well edited and snappy that scene was where he turns around and just lifts the. The... Oh, and the push in of the camera. Yep. Where it's, and like, it's like, boom. Oh my God. I know. It's, well, yeah, it's this fantastic. Is, this is where it goes to, and we're about to get into Hans Gruber in just a second. Yeah. Uh, like, because I also want to talk about Hans Gruber's crew as well as a lot of supporting players. I yeah. know we want to kind of hit the big three, but that's sort of one, one thing I want to talk about as well because I think it helps with the overall. Absolutely. Uh, the detail of the film. Yeah. But. One thing that I love about the direction of this movie and how it's written, and it's amazing to me that a lot of this stuff was sort of like, it was not as much a, oh, and as, uh, you know, we have uh, in chat, like as David says, the music the music in that moment oh, yeah. hit too. Oh, yeah. And it's, but one of my favorite things is seeing how, um, this movie is just so well directed because in written, because everything in this film comes back. Payoff, man. Set like, up and payoff. It's it's one of the if I if I had to put like this is up there with Jaws as one of the best examples of yes. planted payoffs of being like okay I said this offhand but the Holly Gennaro thing comes back the yep. the fact that she puts the picture frame down mm-hmm. it's a great character moment but then it comes back into play later yep. at the fact of that's how she's able to get away with the lie because his face isn't fucking there yep. you know like it's, it's this thing Argyle in the basement it's like comes back Argyle's later like there. It, it all back. Just, yeah and even oh. one of my favorite ones which uh maybe it might be good for us to talk about like al and then come back to the villains and so we can do all the villains oh in one i go. think so yeah but yeah yeah al talking about why he's not on the force anymore oh my god i'm getting chills that's one of my that to me is one of the scenes that makes the movie yeah well considering the world we live in now where that happens a lot unfortunately a lot 
him being, you know, stood down or stepping away or going behind the desk because that's what he did, it just, like, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really sad that that's what happened. And him getting his kind of moment in the end. While- well, and just, just to reiterate for those who haven't seen it, like the, the moment there where he admits that he accidentally shot a kid that was wielding a ray gun that looked real enough. Yeah. And, uh, and apparently, and, and obviously, you know, I, I thought it was a very interesting thing that coming from a black man in, in the film uh, sort of things there. Uh, all right. Oh, okay. We're having the moment happen. We're having the moment happen. The wife beater's oh, coming out. Sorry. Look just, at that. It's really hot and a thick woolly sweater in summer. In Australia, it just doesn't doesn't do it. But it's all right. This this will be fine. This will be fine. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry, uh, like uh, like, but the moment with uh, but uh, I thought it was very interesting from a meta thing. Obviously, uh, you know that actor famously did a ton of cop roles after. I I can't remember because I know he's in Family Matters and his character in there is a cop. I only know him Um, from uh, the interdimensional space cable episodes of Rick and Morty. uh They make all these jokes about Reginald Bell Johnson. (laughs) And yeah, well, and the the thing was that uh, that character also like in his uh, in the same thing that um, Steve Urkel, uh, Family Matters, uh, he, he he plays the dad in that. Oh, yeah. And uh, I believe and he's a cop in that as well. And so it's like this guy in the 80s was the cop. Yeah, Carl Winslow awesome, was, yeah. Uh, yeah, like, was just the go-to cop guy. Like, uh, yeah. he was a cop, that guy, as Dark Side Divas would say, um, <laughs> in movies. And it's actually funny, in, a, in one of the deleted scenes in Avengers Endgame, you now probably will get this. One of the in a, one of the deleted scenes in Avengers Endgame was a thing of like when they fast forward five years earlier when they were like or five years later, uh, and they were gonna introduce the Hulk, uh, like as Smart Hulk. One of the scenes was you see Carl Winslow as a, a cop on the radio talking about how there's a fire up there and it's like we have to get to them, and like you know sort of a thing there, and then the Hulk comes down having saved people. And so it was a whole like meta joke. Um, That's cool. But uh, there are so many things with his character, but his whole dynamic with Bruce Willis is truly just this man to man, almost like a, I need to keep your head in the game. I need to help you through this is one of the best things of this movie. Yeah. And I, and I don't know if you have more to say with the arc. I know you were bringing up that whole moment with him and, and the kid yeah. uh, where you're kind of trying to indicate with the um, uh, I know we got distracted with your uh, tank top. Sorry about uh, that. Were you, well, oh, no, I'm, I'm just I'm mesmerized. Uh, and <laughs> no, so, so, yeah, you have that moment, which, again, is another plant and payoff at the end. And I, I remember watching that and going, I love the moment. But it's one of the things that I don't necessarily love how we got there because it's like the movie's done and then a dude pops up out of nowhere and I was like, oh, that's the 80s camp that I was looking for here, <laughs> what I thought I was getting into. But okay, I still like it. I still, good job. And Yeah. Yeah. And I think that another thing that he does really well is he, you've got, you've got uh, John in the building fighting the terrorists and trying to get them out of there. And you have... Al downstairs fighting the real villain of the film, which is toxic masculinity. 
toxic he's up masculinity. here giving John McClane therapy and giving him a healthy, safe space to process the emotions and recognize the negative patterns of behavior that caused the end of his relationship with his wife. And if he didn't process that, they would not have ended up together at the end of the film. It, <laughs> he's the king. He's the king. He is the king. He is that. He is Carl the Winslow. best friend you want. To Carl Winslow. And the fact that they become he best is... friends, he shows up again in the second film. And, and uh, uh, John McClane just calls him as a came in. Can you like scan these fingerprints for me? He's like, yeah, man, no worries. I'm at a desk. I'll do it for you. No problem. Yeah. Like, and you know, the thing about like his character in this one and, and like, uh, you know, Al just uh, is so good because also you really see him as it begins because he's like, I don't know who you are. I don't know. I don't have any reason to trust you. And then it slowly has this moment of just continuing to go through the movie yep. that you really do find like what he's about and what, you know, sort of you realize his connection there. And then we got to talk because we're talking about fake out. We got to talk about the goddamn FBI people. We got to talk about like the, the goddamn LA police oh. captain. The LA police captain is one of the funniest characters in this film of how incompetent that man is. Yeah. I like he's in um that actor is great. He was he was another 80s that guy because yep. he was also in um Breakfast Club. He was the principal. Uh, of course he was. That's where I knew yeah. he was. Oh my like, god. Mess with the bull, you get the horns. Yeah. Uh like um yeah, like and he's so good in this role as I don't know about this, Al. Uh oh Agent I, Johnson. I was gonna, no, the other one. No relation. <laughs> okay, you gotta know. This was also a little bit of 80s, 80s just like casual racism. Was a little bit of like you gotta know because I thought about that joke a lot. Of Agent Johnson, know the other one. You gotta know what the line on the other end of that phone was. Yes, yeah. And like that's the th that's the thing is I'm like, huh? Like, but that is a very funny line. It, do you know like, what it reminds uh, me of? Thinking about it, is, have you seen the movie The Other Guys? Yes, yes. It reminds me of the the two like badass cops. Oh, yeah. like, oh we're gonna do this we're gonna do it and then they're like we're gonna jump we're gonna do the thing we're gonna jump we're gonna land in those plants and then just <laughs> gone that's the oh, vibe yeah. that this these characters give off oh these characters absolutely do that uh the white agent johnson was the bad guy in the mask and the other one had a minor role in a lethal weapon movie fun fact and that's the end of their careers david says <laughs> <laughs> that's funny but my my favorite thing about this whole thing is that like so you have that, but I love the LA police ca captain because like he, him coming up and being like, one of my favorites is when John McClane say like saves those guys with the explosion, like the C4 explosion, which is just also, I love his dynamic of being like, I thank you, Mr. Cowboy. I will take that under advisement, hit it again. And then he's just like, take this under advisement you jack off and he just tosses a chair down the goddamn elevator shaft yeah. and then i love the the explosion and then the guy comes over and he like the typical white man he is comes over and just like it's just like hey i don't know who you think you are sir but you just destroyed a building i got a lot of people down here and they're now covered with glass and then john McClane says well, we're all thinking glass glass what the fuck is this who the fuck is this and just go like 
And I love Argyle at that point listening in on the conversation, being every audience member in the yep. theater when this is happening. When he goes, when he goes, quit being a part of the problem. Like going over, like, like you know, quit being part of the problem. And Argyle's just like clapping at the in the goddamn like, you know, like the fucking uh, so good. car garage. Yeah. Oh my god. I think that to what you were talking about before, I know we've covered it already, but just like going back to it for a second, like the, the effects related to the vehicles it are fantastic. The way that helicopters explode and crash into buildings and the way that cars fall off of edges and, and Oh like, yeah. And again it comes back to those like regulation things where I'm like, you know what? If you told me that um that Carl Winslow was in the car and he just they just put it in reverse and just told him, "All right, reverse. You're get, you're gonna be fine. We'll 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 see what happens." <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, especially the way he like falls out of it one scene later. It like I don't even recall. I don't even know if it cuts actually between there. It probably was him like, in the car. Uh, After this insane. movie, they created stunt people. Up until then, I don't think it was a thing. Uh, up until then, it was you want to do this, and they're like, "Sure." Yeah, and uh, you know, but the thing that I feel is. It's just it's so good with that, and then adding to it the news reporters and the anchors like that's such an unexpected part of the movie too. Mm. And again, comes back into play later when like the kids are on TV and the whole thing plays out. My God, it, it's that's it's just so, oh. that news reporter, another character who comes back in the second film actually and does the same thing and it works so well. Oh, dude, like. I love it. I love it. I love it. And like my per, but one of my absolute favorite, obviously we cannot talk about this film without talking about Hans Gruber. Sure we can. So the next topic was. Tom. So anyway, okay. yeah. <laughs> no, tell me, tell me. Um, Alan Rickman, the late Aaron, Alan Rickman. It, yeah, it's a fantastic performance is the first part. One of the things that I thought was really yeah, interesting is that- I want to know what your thoughts on, the, on this, because yeah. I'm sure that you've watched a lot of the top 10 videos I have. I'm sure like a lot of Hans Gruber, you knew the character before you even saw the movie. Yeah, absolutely I did. And he is really interesting. And one of the things I thought was was really interesting about him was that he's got this, he's like European, but like it doesn't feel like any real language. And when I went to the fun facts for the film, it's not. It's like gibberish they're talking. It's meant to sound a little bit European from a bunch of different countries because they didn't want to demonize any one particular country, which, smart play, but undisclosed location they're from. <laughs> As in Top Gun Maverick, the enemy. Yeah, uh, exactly. What enemy? We don't know. Where yeah. are you going? Undisclosed <laughs> location. <laughs> like, is that progressive? Kinda? And like, like, I do agree with that, and I think it was the right play. And I think that that's actually one of the cool things about the film is I love how they pose as terrorists, mm -hmm. but they're not really terrorists. Like, yeah. they're not. They don't. They're, they are thieves. At the end of the day, like they are trying to do a bank heist. Yep, that's what they're doing. But they're trying to use the cover of being a terrorist. Exactly, and I find that which is really one of the most interesting. It, it was one of the most interesting things about the film to me was Hans Gruber's whole plan. Uh huh. And um, that's something that Die Hard Two does really well as well. Is this what's the bigger plan here? Like, what are they actually doing? Why are they doing it like this? It, it's also really good. Mm. 
Uh, so it seems okay, to be a staple of, of the series a little bit. They're like, eh, things aren't quite what you expect, but they are what the, you expect enough to give you an action film. Um, they have enough of the trappings that keep yeah. you invested. And one of the things that this film does that makes me like it a little bit more than Die Hard 2 is the villain. Because in this one, the villain is like the brains of the operation. Like, he doesn't really... Like, he can't do much against John McClane when it comes down to the, like, the fight aspect. But he's, he's a smart guy. In the second film, the villain is just a tank. Like, he's introduced not through the way that, like, Hans introduced He's literally introduced naked in his hotel room doing karate watching his TV. And then he needs to turn off the TV. So he goes like this and he goes, whoosh, and he grabs the remote really quickly and turns on. He's like, whoosh, and turns off the TV. And I'm like, oh, that's... That's, what that's who the villain is in this one. Okay, we'll see what... And it's it's still pretty good, but I, there's something about... These guys are so different. It's it's watching a Marvel film where the bad guy is Zemo versus the bad guy is Iron Man, but black. Not black, but like, you know, like, big grey villain is what I mean there. Yeah, but glad you corrected yourself at that moment there. Yep. Like, uh, like it's... Uh, Shut up! Clear, <laughs> Shut up! To be yeah. clear, you mean the, I mean, it's Iron the villain, Man, but in a bigger grey suit. Exactly, where the villain has the exact same uh, skill set and powers as the hero. That's what I'm talking about, yeah? So when not they are ethnicity, different, it's more di- interesting. Not, you're correct. Like, I, I will say, as... The, as <laughs> Good lord. But uh as Merry wow. Christmas, man. Merry Christmas. Uh but as we continue like my my favorite thing about Hans Gruber is Alan Rickman plays him with such grace. Mm-hmm. And what I what I love about it is every it's also like a big staple of the film is that all of the villain there's a fixed number of henchmen. Mm-hmm. There are, I think it's like 12 yeah, or something down. like that like yeah. yeah like and what i love about that is because there's a fixed number all of them have a little bit of a personality yes. that you start to get to know even if they're very quickly on screen you have like you have you know the black guy who's very you know um very charismatic very much like this whole thing there and then you have obviously like the blonde fabio ish you yeah. know german guy they have, they have brothers you, there yeah that's they're, they're why brothers he's, he's got the brothers. that the first guy who he the kills Vin- yeah, the vendetta there. Yeah. Like you have and again going to what you're saying is it's multinationality, multi-ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a diverse group of villains. The villains were very inclusive. Yeah. And um we're sticking it to know, the man, like not to America, I guess. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, like sticking it to the concept of power. Yeah. And uh like what I love about that is that fact of like Hans Gruber plays that aspect of those characters very well. To the point where at the beginning you are confused because he's like saying one thing to the CEO, but then to the whole group of hostages, he's saying another. Yeah. And you're slowly started, but he says it with the same like consistency and tone that it confuses you as an audience member where it's like, wait a minute, but weren't you just saying this earlier? And, you know, him saying, who said we're terrorists? You know, who said like that whole thing of going, I am going to count to three and you know just sort of that there will not be a four you know like that's yeah he that, doesn't have to sit there and go i'm gonna count to three and then i'm gonna blow your brains out you know it is 
that calm demeanor. And and he has like one of my favorite lines is him going, "Oh, Armani, I have two myself." Like yeah. you know, like that. You know, just him it's being such like a great oh. suit. It's like I hate to get it, blood it just, on it. it it really kind of, and I think he kind of, not, I, I don't know about the context of this, because obviously, like, you know, we weren't there in the 80s, so I don't know if this affected writers at the time, but I can imagine this kind of invented, not invented, but definitely popularized that type of villain mm. in media, you know, like having this kind of um, ch- charismatic villain, mm-hmm. this kind of charismatic, you know, smart villain yeah and beyond uh, just big bad from big brute i can punch you like kind of guy like uh which it felt like the rest of the action movies kind of genre was dominated Mm by it it kind of felt like oh we can do something smart we can have this guy be try to outthink our hero like one of my favorite moments is when john mcclain finds him and it's that moment where he's like oh oh god Oh please, please, please! Like, like, don't, don't, don't! You're one of them. You're with one of them. Like, and I'm like, that's fucking. Sm-. I remember watching this in the movie, it, like, like watching this the first time, being like, oh my god, that was brilliant. Yeah, like yeah, him pretending actually, uh, to be a hostage. That was one of the things that I didn't know about the film, and that scene, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, oh, you cheeky man! And then when he gives him the gun, I actually had a sense of dread. I was like, oh, yeah, this is bad. Like, Same. And it kind of at this point you go. I know that John's probably not gonna die. You know, there's five films. Still, I don't know what kind of damage this person can cause to anyone else. Maybe he kills Al. Maybe he kills his wife. Yeah. Like I don't know what's gonna happen here. And him getting the gun, and then that moment of him going, "It's okay, I've got it," and turns around. When he pulls the trigger and it's empty. I almost leapt to my feet in the theater. I I'm actually was like, oh my god, I can't believe it. You you got him. You got him. It, it was a moment where you do have that little bit of it because it, it, I've seen that done in stuff like Mission Impossible, and I feel like it's done to a cheesy extent where it's like, oh, rip off face. Oh, I was actually me the whole time. It's like this film, it actually feels very honest from both characters' perspective of yeah. being like, I don't think John realized at the beginning, but there was that Bill Clay moment that I think he did realize. Oh, mm. uh, you're this fucker, aren't you? <laughs> like, you know, like it's sort of a thing there. And I do, but one of my favorite moments in that scene is when he goes, he goes, no bullets. What, you think I'm fucking stupid, Hans? And then you hear the elevator go off, and he's like, you were saying? <laughs> it's, just, it's just the timing of it for both characters. Yeah. It's just so good that it's just like, and then the, as you said, like the shoot the glass moment happens. And oh my God, that, 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 that moment it. where Bruce, that moment it. where Bruce Willis is taking the, glass out of his feet and he's like what'd you run run your captain's foot over with your car and it's like oh my god that that, like it is such an emotional moment Mm -hmm. to happen in that gate like stage in the film that i just am in shock with like just just how that all goes down and it hans gruber has just this brilliance there 
And again, I just, I love how all of the characters make an impact in this movie, whether it's the hostages, like you have that one guy who's like the depressed stockbroker who like, who goes in there and is shot because he like basically is- The guy who was trying to hit on his wife? <laughs> yeah. I told him we're good pals. Yeah. And, 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 and I love that moment where he's like, where all of a sudden he's like, what did you tell them? And and then he's like, I told you that you were my guest at the party. And it's like, no, that was not what I wanted to hear. That was not, that was he's not. He's lying, he's lying, he's bullshitting. Yeah. I don't know just, this guy. It, like, you had no just, idea what you thought was going to happen here, and, and he did it. Yeah, and it's that thing of like, oh my god, you revealing yourself in any way to these people is the wrong move. Yeah. Oh my god. That's why I love this movie. This movie's way, so good. The way he's just doing cocaine when they walk in to the room as well. Just casually. I, I love the way that the um the CEO looks at him. He's like, Have you met um Holly sorry, John McClain? Uh Holly's, Holly's John husband? McClain. Holly's policeman, John McClain. Holly's policeman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do like how it's not husband, it's Holly's policeman. Yeah. Like uh, and it's it, it's that moment of going, uh and also, as David pointed out, the watch talking about another plan to pay off, where like uh, I the whole to come thing back to of this too, oh, yeah, yeah, the Rolex. Also, fun thing about Hans Gruber. You want to talk about other regulations? You know the face that he makes when he's when he falls. I know. Did you read the fun fact yeah, about do, this? Do say it. Do say it. It's very so, interesting. They said that they're going to let him go, like drop at five, like they they were counting it down. Yep. But they let him go at three. Yeah. And it was the thing go and so that <laughs> face that he makes is and legit he unexpected. Was, he was angry about that too, right? Like real real I, life I, angry. Oh, oh yeah. Understandably so. That's incredibly dangerous. Yeah. That's yeah, it's it's beautiful. But actually another fun fact that I read was that similar to when we were talking about past lives a couple of weeks ago, um most of the there was no rehearsal between Hans and John McClane. All of those scenes weren't done until they were done. So they didn't meet until they met. They talked when they talked. Yeah, I, I love that that's something that has been in for a while. Like they've been yeah. doing that for, for a while. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I mean it kind of makes sense because you know, a lot of the tension is not like and it I I honestly know having been on sets, I don't think how much that is like legit. Uh, how how much of that is legit? How do you put it? I don't know how much of that is like legit. Oh, creative intention. We separated them until this moment of filming. Like obviously with past lives it was. Yeah. But um, with this, I think it's just no. Nah, they literally were not in the same mm. scene. I, I like saw... literally, we don't, we don't, we do not have a reason for them to be in the same scene exactly. until we do. Yeah. And so it's like, it just was more a matter of scheduling. Mm -hmm. And the same sort of thing does happen with past lives too. And I sent you that video the other day where she's, where um, Greta Lee's talking with Andrew Scott. Yeah. And she's saying that not only was it that, but they also were like, don't touch. Like the first time that yeah. they touched was like that hug at the end of the film, which you feel it. And obviously Andrew Scott yeah. talking about like the intimacy within that film is so, so beautiful. It's a great video. Yeah. Um, Affirm <laughs> affirming aceness. That's it. And Elizabeth says, I wonder if it's legal to lie to someone like that. And Elizabeth, you no. do what you have to do to get the shot. <laughs> Whether it's <laughs> legal doesn't matter. Piece. I watched Blackberry <laughs> yesterday and this guy gets offered $10 million in backdated stock options. He's like, is this legal? And it just sits on Glenn Howerton's uh, Jim Bolsilly's face. 
And then it just cuts to the next scene. I was like, no, no, it's not. But <laughs> no, it, in the next scene, in the, the guy walks into the Wall building. Street, he accepted absolutely it. Absolutely fucking not. <laughs> I bet you're wondering, was any of this legal? Absolutely fucking not. No, exactly. And that's, so that's like, but I guess going down to what you were talking about, I, I know that we, you want to also talk about the, pro, the psychology of propaganda that yeah. this film has and well, i really want to know sort of what obviously like i have a feeling i know where you're getting at with mm -hmm. this but i wanted to give you some space to kind of talk about let's talk about the themes of toxic masculinity yeah and as well as you know obviously the propaganda of it all yeah well obviously for people who don't know what propaganda is it's a colloquial term for films that and tv that portray um police men and women or police people in like a positive light, which, you know, for the most part, like the job is supposed to be a positive thing. However, if you've lived over the last however many years, we understand that there are some deep flaws in those systems. And that comes to a head in things like Brooklyn Nine-Nine being a show that was propaganda and them deciding based on light of issues and all these kinds of things, we want to handle that as much as we can, but now it doesn't feel right for us to continue. So they closed the show down. That's not so much what I want to talk about here, but more relating to a lot of the aspects of what potentially cause police men to go down the, the the kind of wrong path are the things that were also causing damage in John McClane's marriage. And you see that from like the opening where he's unwilling to accept that he, yeah, exactly. Elizabeth talking to Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He's unwilling to accept that his partner, was able to have a career and be her own sort of person. He's like, I've got it. Like, I'm the cop. I'm the man. I can do this. And that doesn't really allow him to separate from his ego enough to just go with her. And he doesn't recognize that until... This is another thing around the toxic masculinity, where until the point of, I am probably going to die in the next half an hour, do you willingly connect with your emotions and process that? And on top of that with another man is what it needed to be done. He could only do it with the homies, you know? So <laughs> I like how the film balances we the this. We Exactly. It's not gay. Um, <laughs> we talk about how you balance out the incompetent police characters with even the one who's not incompetent. You know, John McClane's our hero policeman. But even so, he has those negative traits within him. They're part of his character. I found that aspect of it really interesting. It, it does, going to your point, like, obviously it does drift into propaganda. But as you and I were talking about, like, I think that at least with John McClane, like, what I like about his character is he is so frustrated with the policeman in this movie mm -hmm. that it that it does kind of go into him being a cop is not rah-rah cops. Yep. It's, a, it's an explanation why he's able to use a gun. Yeah, it's an explanation it. as to why he thinks the way he does, mm -hmm. and why it's not just some random guy it's like who's we were... able to somehow now be able to defeat these terrorists. Like, yep. he's still he's not a badass hero. He just happens to get the jump on some people, and a lot of times he is damaged. He has no shoes. Yep. He is almost killed several times. Yeah, like, you know, it's it's um it's it's brutal, and and, yeah. so, and I think that in the other cops in the movie, except for Al, which uh, Al even talks about the fact that he actually shot a kid. Yeah. And talking about that it was a mistake and talking about that cops do that. 
Yeah, it's like, well before its time. And you could look at that as just, oh, it's a very simple little thing just to make sure that our character's not in there. But, like, that's a pretty heavy theme. Yeah, like, the character that is the first cop on, on uh, I was going to say on location, but on the scene cannot shoot a gun. He just can't because yeah. his brain won't allow him to because he's so royally messed up earlier and is holding on to so much guilt. And honestly, thinking about it now, I'm sitting here going, Al has helped John process stuff, but John has helped Al process stuff enough so that at the end of the film, he's actually able to complete that arc. So, yeah, yeah, you have this thing where, as you were saying before, John is a cop. John is the hero. John is not the hero because he's a cop. Cops aren't the heroes. He, it's one of those things of just, what's the word? Uh, it's like the serendipity of it, you know? It just yeah. so happens, you know? It, uh, it's, it's a character trait. It's exactly. Not, this character is not, and, and that's why it's tough, because I know that these conversations do require nuance and do Absolutely. require, yeah. you know, these things there. And I do think that for the time, by our standards today, when I said this is more propaganda, yeah. But I think this is incredibly pro progressive for its time. That's it. That's the point. And I suppose we should also say, um, it, while we're talking about these topics in a very general way... That's a very good point. It's, uh, uh, it, yeah. It's, sorry. Um, uh, sorry. Uh, just, just to put this in there before... Correlation you doesn't equal causation. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, our, the Autistic Pal, uh, one of my uh, good friends on uh, TikTok... Uh, correlation doesn't equal causation. I do yeah. think that applies here. But continue yeah. with what you were saying. No, you're exactly right. And as I was <clears> saying, um, to that point a little bit, like we talk about these things in very general terms, but it is also one of the things where you know, if if the shoe doesn't fit, don't wear it. Yeah, like we're not, we're not sitting here and, and going every one of this, every one of A is bad, therefore this is exactly what the autistic pal was saying there. Um, yeah, it is just something that I found interesting as part of the story at this point in our timeline of human history. I did not expect that. If I saw that in a movie today, I would go, yep, I know where that's come from. You know, we saw it in the later episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine and stuff, but you have, yeah. yeah, these aspects of like a policeman, like really royally messing up it and people abusing their power a little bit and doing things like bringing attack choppers to a building where they're civilians. And when he says they're on the roof, Ah, give or take, we'll lose like twenty five percent of them. It's all good. I was like, my god, the the way that you Audacity. are actually making up a, a statement in your nineteen eighties action film starring Bruce Willis. Interesting. I uh, like this, well, and, well, and yeah. that's that's uh, what I really wanted to sort of talk about there. Well, well, and I, and and just to just to kind of wrap wrap in that, like one thing that I think is interesting is it, it also shows because it was similar to when I watched The Wire. And I was realizing, you know, how, because, you know, when you're growing up with these things there, you don't when I like when I was growing up because I'm, I'm white, I don't I, I was not privy to a lot of these conversations that mm -hmm. just was not I didn't have to think twice about my skin color with like a cop or things there. I didn't have to think twice about this stuff there. I didn't get until I was older when I was realizing that there are people that, that really go through this. And I know that might sound ignorant of me, but I just did not know. And it was a thing there of what I think is very powerful about these stories is you go back and you watch them and you realize this is not an, unfortunately, this is not a new conversation. Yeah. It's just, it was more, it's more popular to talk about it now. Yeah. And it seems like we're really focusing on trying to fix it. We're not obviously there yet, but we're trying. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think the two it, points... It, but, but, but like the, the fact that this was even in the movie at all shows that there was this problem even... And not that it, anybody would be shocked, and I'm not trying to say it sound like, oh, this is a revelation, but it's more... It's just clearly to anybody that's like, oh, why are we making things about this? I'm like, this was a theme back yeah. in the 80s. It's exactly you know? that. It's, it's the go work, go broke like mentality of like if you go yeah. and make things political then nobody's gonna watch your movie sweetie what was it nearly two times its budget back eight times its budget or, no what was it 25 million up to 140 so what's that four times yeah like what are you six, talking six, about six seven times it's 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 uh box office it's budget back at the box yeah. office you know and this is arguably a pretty woke movie just saying yeah i would agree just saying it has a strong female character <laughs> oh um, yeah. it has oh, which also themes of yeah obviously like police overstepping their bounds and like a, a, abuse of power um also even as, like i was joking about it before but even the casual like 90s or ca casual 80s racism was like one of the lines was actually i i thought this was actually a pretty good fire back was bruce willis is casually asian phobic to the guy there being like i didn't know they celebrated christmas in japan but then the guy just returns it right back at him is going hey well listen pearl harbor didn't work out so we got you with tape decks and yeah. just was like that action i was like oh. hey. like you know it was one of those moments where you look at that and you're like okay that actually was like yeah I, at first i thought are you just gonna be casual okay so is this movie just gonna be casually racist yeah it's gonna and then be it's one like, of no, the guy no the guy fired right back at him mm. and it it's was like and very self-aware while also at points taking itself quite seriously but for the most part like that's what i found really interesting and um yeah, like it'll it'll take us into kind of our next point, which was your yeah. like talking about the tone and the camp and that because we're talking about the film and the time that it came out. A lot of films from the eighties and early nineties have that kind of like feel to them. Um, but yeah, like, do you have any other like thoughts on that or anything else you want to touch on before we dive into our last sort of topic? Oh well, I think we gotta go dive into the the because I feel like all of this is really exemplified. Like as we were talking about with all the characters, the meaning, the messaging, the themes, the the location, everything. Everything contributes to this incredible tone that this yeah. movie has, which has camp to it. But this is like one of those films where they really take themselves seriously. Yeah. It's like it's one of those films. It's similar to like when dead, the first Deadpool came out. Mm -hmm. The dead first Deadpool not only was aware of the subject matter, but it was aware of the comic book genre as a whole. And it came out just at this right time when we were ready to start making fun of it. When we were ready to start acknowledging where these films were falling short yeah. and where these films were doing this, where it was enough in the public zeitgeist to be able to earn this. But unlike Deadpool, which is my, my controversial opinion, this actually innovates and actually mm -hmm. innovated this, the, the 80s superhero genre yeah. to being, because I felt Deadpool was meta, but didn't add anything new to the conversation. Yeah, it, it was just, just going, really. I noticed this. It's not actually. I saying... noticed this, but I'm not doing anything about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I get that. But what I really love about the, um, what I really love about Die Hard is Die Hard saw the '80s action movie, and I, I can imagine the director being like, "I've done these other '80s movies. I've done these other things. There, I want to try something more." grounded because you have like stuff like rambo which is surprisingly grounded uh like the first rambo is is surprisingly grounded but not to this degree 
this degree, as you said, we feel like John McClane in the first movie, but there's no sequels yet. We feel like this guy could fucking die at any point. But the tone is there. They establish it in the beginning when it's like, oh, it's a Christmas theme. And going back to the whole thing of, is this a Christmas movie? I firmly believe it is because the messaging and the theming is, it's not just happening to be there, but it's involved in puns. It's involved in the setting. Mm-hmm. It's involved with why it's a problem. This is happening on Christmas. Yeah. It's involved with why they're there in the first place to have this whole holiday party. It is just such a unique thing. And I think that also by using the Christmas theme, it disarms the audience. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, Christmas. Why? Like, this should be a happy time. And it puts an extra level of danger onto this because nothing is sacred. Nothing is safe in this film. Mm. Like, these terrorists don't even care about the fact that it's Christmas, you know? Like, it's, it's sort of, again, like, as, as, uh, as uh, uh, David says in the chat, you know, you have the now I have a machine gun ho 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 line, which is obviously an iconic moment of the film. Uh, but I think that the film does a great job of taking the tropes of 80s action movies, but subverting them. By having shit like the the rope tying to myself, I'm going to tie myself to this rope. All of a sudden it breaks. And the whole thing, like the whole fire hose comes rushing towards the, like, you know, the railing and he has to swing in. And then once it falls, the, you know, wheel falls over it or the fact that he doesn't have any shoes on. All of this requires camp. All of this kind of goes into that. So I want to know what you felt, because you were very much also impressed with the camp and the way that this all plays in. Yeah. Well, like I said, at its core, it's, it's. It is so absurd to consider that a man in his underwear and no shoes took down a bunch of terrorists, right? That's your first part. Yeah. And to take that premise, which is completely absurd, and run with it in complete seriousness is the first way that this film just ticks that box. From there, you have the feeling of a character just sitting and talking to himself. I know that we have internal monologue a lot of the time, but I won't sit here when you're not on the phone and go, damn it, Nathan why you sucked on the podcast today or this wasn't this wasn't as good or that i'm not going to sit here and like talk like that to myself it doesn't happen and obviously you can't do that in a film so you have to suspend a bit of disbelief like i don't know maybe he was talking in his head the whole time that he's talking out loud and that's just for us or maybe he was just talking out loud and that's how his character works you know it doesn't really matter that being said it's silly to talk to yourself however it works so well in this film because he's saying what i'm thinking and yeah, that's it's set up so perfectly, and you've planted all the right pieces up to now that there isn't necessarily a way that I could have thought anything different. I'm on the same page as you. I'm sitting here going, <laughs> "How? How are you going to do this? This is absurd. Like, there's no way that this is going to work." And he's going, "Man, how am I going to do this? This is so absurd." I'm like, "Ha! Nice." And you do well, have those. Does, you have those yeah, um, does that so well. action 80s one-liners that just are a staple of the genre that these days they, they try and recapture that magic in movies sometimes and you don't get heaps of it. You know, like um, John Wick went the route of having your character just not talk much at all. Yeah. Um, it's, all it's just all action and him going, yeah, yeah. Guns. Yeah, lots of guns. Yeah, and it just... <laughs> yeah. 
um it's like for it for it to feel serious the creators of john wick felt they needed to not do that at all yeah and this has the capability to feel serious and actually feel like there are stakes and have some weight to the action and yet we're still good you know we're still yeah. good so um i i loved how it managed to balance that tone between 80s camp and like serious moments and it actually kind of reminds me a little bit of how like taika waititi does things where there's this a That's lot of a this disarming point. comedy and then there's a pair of shoes hanging in center frame and you're like like you did such a great job oh. at luring me into a false sense of security exactly i'm and sitting here going it's safe it's safe it's safe nobody's gonna die nothing's gonna happen and then it's like shoot the glass and i'm like fuck no don't shoot the yeah, glass like please don't like or or the whole thing of like you know the you know him again just a very realistic way everybody's reacting to things yeah. and doing things there yeah and my my feeling with it is going going even even further with that what i really love about um this film and just with the tone as you're saying uh the one-liners the stuff there like it, it just it looks you in the eye and it just goes that's yeah that's what we're doing yeah and yeah. it and it just does it does not flinch it mm -hmm. does not like take a moment for you to like it, it acknowledges it it does it but at the same time bruce willis just pulls off the impossible where when he talks to himself and he does like the line of being like oh yeah come on come on come on come on i'm gonna like like i'll kiss your fucking dalmatian <laughs> like you feel it yeah and you feel that moment and that's the thing that i feel really sets films like this apart from others yeah and why i feel like this film even every it's not just him though every character leans into it they lean into the christmas jokes they lean into the things there they go go with this whole thing even you know the guy going oh and the quarterback is toast mm. like works in a dumb way it shouldn't this movie shouldn't work but it does yeah yeah and that's why like going with it i do believe it is a christmas movie because it absolutely leans into all this camp it leans into all these things there and i i don't know is there anything else you have to say that before we move on to cinema a la carte and the Not final really. like i think that we've covered the fact that the film was shot in essentially one location and on like location too like it's it, it looks and feels very real and a lot of the effects are done in camera which again i didn't expect the level of explosions in this film that i got you know like the, and how like real that last emo uh, explosion is a big explosion and these days outside of like a nolan film you don't really get that you, know, you just yeah. you don't there was actually it was the shot in no time to die I think it was the last Bond film where they had the biggest explosion from special effects in, in like history. Uh, that looked so great. And uh, I've watched a lot of like the Corridor Crew videos. You know, as VFX artists react. Yeah. Videos. They're pretty cool. Uh, and one of the things that they talk about is like, sometimes you look at something and it looks real. And sometimes you look at it and it looks fake, but you just don't know why. And one of the, the, core aspects they talk about particularly in explosions is like you don't realize how bright explosions are and you don't realize how bright like muzzle flashes are because they're little explosions like it is the 
at its peak the, the, the highest white point of brightness. And in an explosion, if you want to tell why does this explosion look fake and why does it look real, it usually has to do with the fact that with a real camera, if I put an explosion there, it would blow out your exposure. It can't not. There's just no way that I could light something to the highest white point behind UK and it wouldn't blow out your face. Yeah. And when you have a CGI explosion, you don't have that as much because they have the ability to go, I want the explosion to look really sick. I want the smoke to look awesome and the fire to look cool. But with a real explosion, you don't have that. And that's what, like, particularly that last shot well, where he's completely silhouetted by the fact that he's completely blown out by that explosion reminds you that this man did not jump in front of a green screen. Okay. He nearly yeah. died jumping off a building when they had that amount of C4 there. It's Bruce very impressive. almost died for your entertainment. Yeah. Appreciate that. <laughs> like, and so, uh, but with, with the, yeah. And I guess, I guess I do want to ask you with going to wrap this all out. Yeah. Obviously, this film has a lot of camp and a lot of great things there. Now, and this might be a little bit of a difficult thing, uh, but moving on to our favorite new segment, Cinema a la carte. Welcome. Yes. We're going to go into our dining experience. Can I interest you in an hors d'oeuvre? Let's make sure. Now, Cinema a la carte is what where we, we offer pair you this wine a, with. Where we pay this wine of a film with wonderful food that yeah. would be just as enjoyable to consume with it. If you have seen it, if you haven't seen it, these are films that we try and we try to be unique. We try to find interesting ways. We have a little bit of an out of the box uh, choice. As well as these things there. And as Naf was saying, I do have a couple of pairings. I, I have one of this. If you are trying to pair this with a Christmas theme, like let's say you're trying to get your little family together around the fire, trying to have something there. You're looking for films that are just as sort of out of the box, campy, out of the box, interesting, but still have that dash of seriousness to them. Might I suggest the classic retelling of a, D a Dickens story with Muppets. Perhaps a Muppets Christmas Carol. Mm. Because... Uh, was it Michael Caine, famously with that film, treated the Muppets not as if they were Muppets, but as fellow actors in the film. And so when he said he is going to portray Ebenezer Scrooge direly seriously, he treated it as if it was a Shakespearean royal company Shakespeare role. And I think that going off of what we are saying of a campiness that takes itself very seriously... Muppets Christmas Carol is one of the one of the finest examples. But if we want to go for the 80s action movie side of things, I had a couple of sort of, again, going leaning into the camp. I had a couple of ideas. This leans into the genre in a way that's unexpected, but ultimately has a similar level of brilliance, uh, mm -hmm. if not more brilliant for what it was able to achieve uh, is the Academy Award nominated film Knives Out, mm. so, uh, like Fantastic written choice. by. Uh, absolutely. And uh, written and I, directed uh, by a genius whose name you should say Ryan Johnson, yeah, also acclaimed director of another fantastic, perfect, brilliant film. You realized just now that you almost, you almost, no. almost forgot. No, sweetie. <laughs> and now, my uh. The other one I wanted, we obviously talked a lot about in this one, was John Wick. Mm. I think that John Wick would be an excellent pairing with this film as a yeah. modern equivalent of what I think Die Hard was to the 80s. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I think that and there are sequences within some of the John Wick films that really line with this. Like, you know, you've got, I think it's the end of John Wick 2 where they're just, they're locked down in the building. But that, oh my God, it kind yeah. of fits this. He's a bit of a, what's the word? He's like the assassin there, you know? He's, he's, he's cornered. Really, he's yeah. cornered. He's like, he's trying his best to get out of there. And then with that further, going with another film that really leads into its camp, but also takes itself desperately seriously is Greta Gerwig's Barbie. I love that uh, one. Like that, that connection. Uh, and exactly what you're talking about, like the camp versus the seriousness of it. That's, that is my unexpected, but that is a beautiful choice. It's like when you're watching Ratatouille and he's like, you have the cheese and the strawberry and then together, that's what I just experienced when you said that just then. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a great so, yeah, choice. Yeah. It's a great choice. So, hey, if you like uh, Die Hard, check out Barbie this Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, in, in uh, on uh, Max or whatever the fuck. Seriously and, though, um, like you need to grab that clip of Remy with the strawberry and the cheese, and put Barbie on the strawberry and Die Hard on the cheese, and combine them, <laughs> and put your face on Remy's. You have to do that. Oh, I will. I will. And yeah. now, but uh, that's my reasons oh, why God. I like Barbie as a choice. David, David, David did it for us. <laughs> Die Harvey. Die Harvey. That's amazing. Oppenheimer. Op- what is it? Yeah, Oppenheimer and, and Die Harvey. But um, I, I kind of stole the, the thunder for you in, in that little bit, but why do you choose Barbie as a pairing for this film? Well, I think it is simply the fact that you have... Greta Gerwig famously said they need to treat the comedy so seriously with Barbie. Like, And if you really look at everything in Barbie, it is done so particularly to make sure that people don't feel that this movie is like, I guess utterly ridiculous. That's mm. like like in a in 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 a way of being like we have to commit so hard to this bit, yeah. Or else any part that falls short of it will stick out like a sore thumb. No, I and that's that. what I feel. I feel Barbie needed to do that, and it succeeded because of its camp yeah. and its commitment to the bit. Yeah. Because it easily could have failed. Mm-hmm. It easily could have been ridiculous. But the fact that they commit so hard to it. I feel is particularly incredible. And now, Naf, you had a couple. I do. I do yeah. have a couple. That I just think that they're they're nice side pieces here. You know, it's like Die Hard is your burger and your chips and your onion rings and your dip and your little chicken bites or your wings. That's what these side pieces Ooh, are. They aren't exactly yeah, yeah. they're designed to pair with the film. They're not designed to be one to one. If you like Die Hard, you're gonna like these. You know, sometimes people order a burger and they don't order chips. You know, they don't order wings on the side. Mm. It, yeah, actually, I should say fries for the Americans because I ordered chips when I was in America and I got, like... Baked potato chips. Baked potato... Like, what the hell is wrong with you people? Like, why would I... Why? It's fries. Why? That's what they are. Ugh, no. You. Anyway, so... <laughs> my pick first is The Nice Guys by Shane Black. I like that every Shane Black film is set at Christmas time. It's more of those set at Christmas as opposed to Christmas films. However, I think yeah. The Nice Guys does fit into a Christmas film a little bit because it has, you know, this family element to it and people coming together and it all kind of ties in there. I think that if you combine really? Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling's characters, you kind of get a bit of a John McClane. You really do. Like a bit of the, oh, I can take myself a little like full serious, but also I'm an idiot sometimes works oh, yeah. there. Uh, I think that's a really great film. And then also kind of the final act of that is almost taken out of this film. Oh, like they're yeah. at the top of a sky oh, rise. They're fighting yeah. there. A person falls all the way down, but into a pool. Like it just, 
it fits. It's um, brilliant. If you want something that's confined in one space, The Raid as an action film is mm. probably one of my favorite action films of all time. Haven't it also seen. inspired Dread which isn't a Western remake of The Raid. It's Dread about the character Judge Dread. But when you look at the like story beats side by side, it is the Western remake of the Indonesian film The Raid. And the stunt choreographer and main character in The Raid, Iko Uwais, has gone on to work. He, he, he does stunt choreography for heaps of things. And he's been in oh, yeah. um, so many films as the villain, but also just as a choreographer. He is incredible, incredible to watch. And... It's another one of those things where the action feels so realistic and heavy and death and all of, yeah, death and weapons have this, like, weight to them that feel dangerous, you know? Uh, and the last one is Nobody, uh, which is Bob Odenkirk's kind Bob, of take. Our boy Bobby Odenkirk. Bobby Odie. Um, his Bobby kind Odie. of take on the John Wick style of, hey, this guy retired and he's back and... I think it's really cool. Also features Christopher oh, it's an Lloyd awesome movie. in ways that I didn't think you could feature Christopher Lloyd at his age. Oh my god. <laughs> it's heaps of fun. It's really simple, but it is just heaps of fun and I think that those three make fantastic pairings for Die Hard. I, I saw you have those written down here and mm. I was like that those were brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant choices. Like the the nice guys I think is one of the be best ones you put there. Nobody yeah. as well. Like both of them are in that similar camp of I think nobody's a better pick than John Wick. Like I it's think funny. that I was going to say John Wick and then you said it and I was like I have to pick something else. So Well no nobody I, nobody I think is better because I feel like John Wick drifts more into the Arnold Schwarzenegger Stallone mm -hmm. type of yeah, like nobody is hero? the. Oh, he just so happens to be that guy. You are that guy, pal. Yeah, you are that yeah. guy. But with that said, that yes. has been cinema a la carte. And now, as we wrap up this fine, fine episode, thank you guys so much for being here and joining us. Obviously, Neff, what can viewers expect from us next week as we drift into the yeah. seas, as it were, as we go to war? <laughs> in this incredible final finale episode of the year. It's not our yeah. finale of the season, but it is a finale of this year. Absolutely, yeah. So um, our seasons are intergenerational, you know? They continue intergenerational. on. Uh, our, we're looking to end season two around about April next year. Um, so we'll still be yeah, doing well, uh, episodes like, up to uh, yeah. Um, yeah, like around, around April, May, because... Yeah, yeah. Should we uh, should we drop this there for anybody that might be interested? Nah, let's not. You can wait. Uh, but just so you know, there are plans in place. Uh, we have guests booked all the way up to the end of March and start of April. So also, if you guys and, oh, know man, someone that so you would love great. to see. Oh, absolutely. So many great people coming on, which we're excited for. And a couple episodes for me and you as well, which I always love getting back to. Um, but if there yeah, are, you're, you're showing us, showing me some my, some fa favorite films of yours that yeah. I have not got a chance to find, I'm, like sit down and see. I'm so excited for a bunch of those because um, we we've done a, a heap uh, of yours too, which I have. Loved yeah, this year was into. this year has been a really great opportunity to show you a lot of films that have been really yeah. important to me. Yeah, and I'm really excited to see yours. Among all of the guests that we've got coming on, next week we don't have a special guest. The next two episodes, I believe, we, we don't have guests lined up. It's just going to be me and you. Next week we so have suck it. a favorite film that you have been dying to show me for ages. And we actually had the chance to watch this together when I came out and visited you uh, in LA last year. Uh, do yep. you want to tell our friends what film we're going to be talking about next week? 
Well, I continue my Spielberg indoctr- indoctrination of NAF. <laughs> Bring me to the Spielberg this, cult. Which I think this will conclude the absolute Spielberg necessities. Yeah. Uh, with Saving Private Ryan. There are a couple that still I do want to show you, like Minority Report is the biggest other one, but mm-hmm. it is a put on the Spielberg on the back burner a little bit and get through some other filmmakers, incredible talent, talented people. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, we're going to go and do a wonderful, wonderful episode about uh, Saving Private Ryan. It will be our last episode of the year. Uh, we pre-recorded it because we won't be, uh, we unfortunately will not be able to do it live. We we are going to premiere it so you guys can still watch it on YouTube before it airs on uh, Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts. But uh, we will be sort of out of town enjoying the holidays, enjoying the things there. But we want, didn't want to rob you of our beautiful voices and faces. And so we wanted to make sure that you had that there. Yeah, absolutely. So that episode will air on the 30th of December in PST and 31st of December in AEDT. So yeah, look forward to that. We're really hyped. We loved recording that episode. Um, And you'll also get the reveal of our first episode of next year too. So be sure to tune in there. Now, if you want to find One With The Films anywhere, you can find us at One With The Films. Uh, We managed to lock down that name before anyone else did on uh, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, uh, not Facebook because we're, you know, new age and uh, other places too. But most of the places you can find us, you can find us at One With The Films. We're also obviously here on YouTube. So if you did like the episode, feel free to subscribe. You can put on notifications so you get notified when any new things drop. But most often than not, all of our, uh, if you want to follow along on Instagram, you'll get teasers at upcoming episodes and... You can sort of join and get in the to conversation guess the film. there. Yeah, yeah, you can come in, try and guess the film. Uh, you can guess when we do our reveals, we do these like ridiculous posts too. So you can try and guess kind of what we're thinking in those posts too. Uh, but we, yeah, we love chatting with you guys. Now, like we said, we're, we're actually booked up with guests all the way to like the end of March, which is awesome. But there's still heaps of space post then. And one of the films is going to continue and stay strong um, for hopefully years to come. So if there is a creator um, that you love with a movie that isn't talked about all that often feel free to reach out to us on any of these platforms and go hey tell this person or obviously tell them to reach out to us as well we'd love to have or organize a time to have your favorite creators on too that being said same goes for yourself if you have something that you feel needs to be shared that we may not have seen reach out we'd love to have at least a conversation in messages with you guys about what you love and if we can find a way to make it work on the show we're absolutely going to we're absolutely another going thing, to. And another thing is obviously you guys see us talk about specific topics on this show. One thing that we kind of are trying to implement a little bit, if you guys are interested, is being able to submit your own things that you want to hear us talk about in this film. Like if you love Saving Private Ryan <coughs> and you want to talk about uh, the various different things there, like the cameos in the film or things there, like you want to talk about that stuff. And if you want us to cover it specifically, just tell us. We would love to have that be a thing in this as well. And in addition, guys, this has been a year, obviously, uh, for everybody involved, and especially a lot in the creative spaces with all the strikes and things there. Uh, we felt that we really had a great run leading up to, uh, up and through Star Wars Celebration, as well as Naf, getting, Naf and I getting a chance to meet each other in person for the first time since starting <laughs> this thing. It's uh, obviously we didn't get to You say didn't a lot kill of me, stuff. you cheeky boy. Hey, listen, I tried. I did not succeed. The guy uh, at customs uh, told me to be careful. I don't... And and he was right. 
And like, uh, but like you did prove your worth. So it was one of those things of kind of, you know, it seemed like a better investment. But with this, I want to just thank you guys for those of you who chose to listen to us. Kenny, uh, obviously the autistic pal, Elizabeth, everybody there. Uh, it's been such a beautiful, beautiful journey to go on with you guys this year. Thank you so much for sticking with us and really making this year very special for both of us. We love chatting with this. This has been one of the, our, our favorite things that we started ever since last year. We've really enjoyed being able to do this. And without you guys, there's some guests that we have coming up that we never would have been able to get before. And it was something incredibly special. And we hope that we're able to continue to improve the show, continuing to be able to do this. If you like what we're doing and you want to just continue to tell us what you like, what you want us to improve upon things there, we may not listen to you like that one cheeky comment that came on our YouTube channel the other day. However, keep putting those there because NAF will turn it into a very funny social media post that actually had me rolling. Beautiful. Uh, did you know that we're not cool for talking about films and thinking that they're just underrated little gems? Did you know that, Neff, that it's, we're not cool? It's beautiful. I knew we weren't cool, but not for that reason. Exactly. I'm like, at least be more original with why we're not cool. And uh, But with that, guys, what Neff, where can people find you? Well, yeah, I'm at On Second Thought on Instagram. That's the best place to find me because you can just type On Second Thought. And then from there, you can use my bio to find me anywhere else as well. I talk film, TV, and a hell of a lot of Star Wars. And uh, yeah, like anything I feel like in the moment. Generally, it's just me um, thirsting over sexy Star Wars villains, but I'll thirst over anyone. It's fine. And you'll see more of me in this beautiful tank top in various stages of undress. That's Absolutely. a lie. You won't. You won't. So feel free to come over. And Kate, well, you, where can that's I find false you? appetizing for me. <laughs> well, you can find me at your house soon. But uh, <gasps> like, um, I, 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 I wish that was the case. But nonetheless, I, you, I will find you at my house soon. But with that said, I am Movie Man Opinions. You can find me at Movie Man Opinions on any social media platform you so choose, uh, except for uh, Twitter, where you can find me at Movie Man Opinion. Uh, and yeah. that's uh. That's me. You can find I am an expert on my own opinions and I love Bad Batch. That's basically my personality. Uh, and yeah, uh, you can also check us out, obviously, at our social medias at One with the Films. And uh, to go out as we wish you a happy holidays, I have a quote from my friend Raglan who says, Colorful Clay is often pregnant. 